This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello, it's Paul Wheelock and welcome to your latest podcast on the Blood Red channel. Now, we know Liverpool are in a very good place on the pitch. One look at the Premier League table will tell you that. But the recent release of the club's annual accounts showed the Reds are also in a very good place away from the pitch as well. For the 2017-18 season, Liverpool posted a record-breaking pre-tax profit of £125 million. And while that figure owed much to the proceeds of Philip Coutinho's sale to Barcelona, the special guest of this podcast explains why that figure underlines the huge strike Liverpool continue to make off the field. Kieran Maguire is a leading football finance expert and a lecturer in the subjects at the University of Liverpool. And as well as the impressive annual accounts, we talk the FSG policies that are really beginning to reap dividends, why Liverpool have now surpassed two of their top six rivals, why it was a quiet transfer window, and what the Reds can expect as they get set to negotiate a new money-spinning kit deal. Enjoy, and we'll be back on Wednesday with Peter Hooten's Alain La Rouge podcast. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Well, hi, Kevin. I hope you're well, mate, and uh, back on your feet again, because uh, the last time we spoke, you just had an operation. You're doing OK? Yeah, I'm, I'm capable of walking, uh, not doing too much running, but, uh, yeah, we're getting there. Slow progress, but uh, God bless the NHS. Definitely, totally agree with that. Well, excuse the terrible pun, but certainly looks uh, looks to be in good health on the field where the level on points at the top of the Premier League with Manchester City and off it too, uh, having in the last few days announced a record pre-tax profit of 125 million in their latest set of annual accounts. I know you've been busy analysing them. What was your overall verdict? Well, I think the, the most I know when we first spoke uh, in the days after the Champions League final, you predicted or tipped that Liverpool could eventually go and spend £150 million to £200 million in the summer just gone. We, we now know there was an outlay of £173 million on Becker, Keita, Fabinho and Shaqiri. Uh, as, as I think you've just said it there, was it a case of FSG striking while the iron was hot? Ages a moment ago, and I was uh, looking at some of your analysis of Liverpool figures and putting them into the wider context of the Premier League. Is it true that they're only second behind Manchester United at the moment? That's right. Um, they, they, they sneaked ahead of Manchester City, uh, which, which I think will surprise many people. Uh, you know, Man- Manchester City's accounts are, are a little bit complex, so you have to be, you have to treat them with a slight degree. 
rewarding some of the existing squad and and, and the management team with with enhanced contracts. And uh, you know, I think we all like a twenty seven percent pay rise ourselves. But you know, in the world of football, um, you've got you've got to compete with the other big boys. And Liverpool have shown by by increasing the wage bill to two hundred and sixty three million pounds is, is that they can now compete with with practically anybody. Um, in the Premier League, should they should they show desire, and I, I think that the signal this sends out to players is that if you come to Liverpool, a we'll start off by paying you a good amount of money. If you perform, we will reward you with an enhanced contract, and, and they've done that with some of the squad. And see, um, for those clubs who are predators, it now makes Liverpool less of, a, of an easy picking. So you know the players will be so well paid that they will think twice before going. What I think it's worth mentioning again, I was on your Twitter account and you, there was a caveat. You know, you look at some of the Premier League uh, clubs in terms of the wages in to comparison to the ratio of turnover, but Liverpool seem to have, even though they're paying big money now, they seem to have it very much under control. Yes, I, I agree with you totally. Um, you know, Liverpool are paying out around about fifty-eight pounds for every in wages for every one hundred pounds that comes through the door, um, and if, if you if you keep that. Yeah, at around about or below 60, then that's normally seen as, as sort of a, an ideal benchmark. So, so they, they seem to have uh, used the additional money to, to, to drive uh, to drive up the wage bill without getting into potential problems in the in the in the medium to long term as well. So, uh, yeah, that that's always one metric which which we use when we're analysing clubs to just see yes, is it looking good? But you, you, you can very easily get into uh, Choppy waters by paying out too too high wages in the short term. Yeah, just to look across the park. I think Everton's is 77%, is that right? That's right. I mean, uh, you know, Everton do have a new owner who, who wants to push the club forwards. Um, and one of the ways of doing that, of course, is, is investing in, in players. Um, and, and if you spend large money on transfer fees, then you get people who, who feel that they're entitled to, to to large wages as a result of that. And, and that's fairly standard within football. Um, you know, I, I think Everton would not want that that figure to be at uh, 77% for, for more than you know, two or three years. Uh, you know, from, from their point of view, they would hope that that would start to bring more success um, on the field. Um, in, in terms of qualifying for UEFA sanctioned competitions because uh, Liverpool made a huge sum from, from their success in the Champions League last season. I think it worked out at £72 million from prize money alone. And then you've got merchandise sales and uh, match day income on top of that. So uh, yeah, Everton will be looking at that and saying, well, yeah, we, we need uh, a minimum of, of getting into the UEFA, uh, UEFA, UEFA Cup. They, they, they are desperate to move into sort of the realms of, of the big six but it's uh, it, it's, it, it's, it's a tough nut to crack and uh, you, you do need a lot of money or um, you know, an incredible season as Leicester City had uh, in 2016 Certainly. Back to Liverpool and the uh, annual accounts. As you rightly said at the start, across the board, media, commercial, matchday revenue, everything went up. But how big a factor was the Coutinho sale in, in these figures? Well, of, of the £125 million pounds of profit that Liverpool announced, £124 million came from profits on player sales. So um, I, I think Liverpool's business model is to try to break even in terms of the day-to-day running of the club and then hopefully a, a few uh, a few player sales will will give additional money which can then be reinvested 
still an achievement in the Premier League days, these days to, to post a profit you know he, taking away player sales what Liverpool would have done even if they'd, they'd kept Coutinho yes yeah uh, it's uh, you know there's, there's quite a few clubs who, who are not making any profits um, and, and indeed some are you know, generating quite steep losses and, and the danger with that is, I mean if, if you take a look at Arsenal for example Arsenal last season lost £800,000 a week now the only way they managed to deal with that is, is by flogging some players so there's, there's two reasons for, for selling players uh, the profit what one is that you need the money and the second one is because you choose to do so and, and it's it's just like anything you know if, if, I, if I'm skinned and I need to sell my car I'm not going to be able to negotiate such a good price for it so, yeah. so Liverpool in a very strong position from a negotiation point of view that it's not a fire sale that, that, that they have and, and therefore they can get true proper market value and I think everybody would, would agree that the price that they sold Philip Coutinho for was, was a pretty premium uh, figure um, and, and that money goes, goes, back, goes back and gets reinvested into the club so uh, yeah I think they're in, in, they're, the model of trying to, to break even from the operations of the club is, is a very sensible one um, and it puts them in a strong negotiating position I think it's a really good point because obviously you're not going to sell a Philip Coutinho every season unless you know a Salah, Mane, Firmino, any of those players left, which I'm sure Liverpool would never want to do that. But even the £19 million they got for, for Dominic Solanke in, in January from Bournemouth, there's clear, as you say there, that it's not just all going out one way. They're, they're, they're trying to be prudent in a way as well. Very much so. Um, and, and I think um, when, when, you've, when you have signed players who perhaps aren't happy because they're not getting into the 18. Um, then you've also got not only an unhappy player, but you've, you've got you know, X tens of thousands of pounds going out in wages each week, which is effectively being wasted. So um, I think the club is, is looking to, um, you know, today to bring players through the academy, which, which they've proved to be successful at, and to smart recruitment. But for those players who, who aren't realistically going to get a, a regular uh, starting position or a place in the squad, then, then they're looking to move them on. But again, from the Liverpool Echo. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. In terms of uh, incomings in January, there were none for Liverpool. There were, there, were, there were none for a lot of the Premier League, I think. It was for the first time since 2012 that spending in the league was actually down. Is there any reason for that? Do you think there's just less value in the market or Premier League clubs trying to not go over the top anymore? Is there any, any, any opinion on that? Remember from Borussia Dortmund, 
Pulisic, um, Pulisic, yeah, the American Pulisic, lad, isn't it? That's yeah. right. Um, and th- so that was that was fifty eight million. It was, you know, it was practically half of the money that was spent in, in the January window. Um, all, all the other managers seem reasonably happy with their squads, and, and you've got Manchester United with a, with an interim manager, so he wasn't looking to recruit as such. And I don't think the board wanted to sanction any transfers at Old Trafford because they didn't know ultimately what their decision was going to be in terms of the manager. And if you don't know who your manager is going to be, then realistically you don't know the nature of the players he's looking for in the squad. So, so that was one club out of the equation. Liverpool, I think, were very happy with their squad. The same with Manchester City. Arsenal have got no money for the reasons that I gave you yeah. earlier. That, that they've, uh, yeah, they're losing £800,000 a week. And Spurs have got so much money invested in funding the new stadium that they, they really can't go into the market and sign players. So the big six weren't particularly interested, with, with the exception of Chelsea, and Chelsea are so unpredictable that uh, you're never quite sure what they're going to get up to. And, and therefore that, that floats through to the rest of the division. Um, and there's, there's a second issue, is that we are in... Um, the, we're not at the start of a... Um, a TV deal cycle. Yeah. So the TV deals go go in three-year cycles, and normally you get a big boost. And, and clubs are aware that there's going to be more money coming in in future years from TV, so therefore perhaps they might choose to to invest that in players in advance. Well, the, the new TV deal that, that kicks in for BT and Sky is actually probably worth around 10% less mm-hmm. than the existing deal. So clubs will be factoring that in. They'll be, they'll be preparing budgets and they'll say, well, how much money we expect to come in overall if that's going to decrease by 10% on the TV side of things then we've got to budget yeah, we've got to spend accordingly so that will make them a little bit more cautious in terms of um, you know, the, the amount of money that they're willing to invest in, in players and wages Certainly you've mentioned Arsenal and Chelsea there and I know in your analysis you've you've shown that Liverpool have now surpassed both of those clubs in terms of revenue and it's just City and United who are technically bigger than Liverpool now in, in that in those terms. Yes, and, and that's, that, that's great news from, from Liverpool's point of view because, because uh, yeah, they, they probably felt historically that they were being out-muscled by the London clubs and from a player's point of view, London is a very attractive place to work because it's got all you know all the benefits of, of the capital and, and, and the lifestyle that goes with it. Um, Chelsea historically have always paid big big wages, um, and, and that that growth has has tapered off in, in recent years. Um, and part of the reason for that is that Roman Abramovich is is looking to run the club um, on on more business lines um, because. His love of football appears to have waned. He's mm-hmm. not been seen at Stamford Bridge for for a long time, and, and there's issues with his uh, with his visa. And it's these external factors that actually have a consequences for the club itself. Um, so, uh, what Liverpool needs to achieve, um, and, and and they need to establish themselves at, is as the club that is going to always get into the Champions League, because that that extra forty or fifty million a year, which is normally generated, can then be can put into the wage pot. Um, and, and we've seen with Arsenal that they are a couple of years now without being in the Champions League, and they don't look the same. No, they don't, no, they don't not look strong, as they don't look as a top four contender to the same extent that they used to be um, under the, the, the years when Wenger's teams were very strong. 
very true. I suppose United and City are the ones still to catch, though. So, as well as Champions League football, I'm sure they'll look to external measures. And I know it's something we've touched on before in our previous chats for podcast about the uh, the Anfield Road and you know the success of the the main stand is underlining these accounts. And obviously, they've got the the training ground in Kirby. The re- redevelopment that's happening there is an ongoing concern. But it must give FSG and the the powers that be food for thought on the Anfield Road and given the success of uh, of of the new main stand. merchandise there I just want to get your opinion on the kit deals how important they are because the last couple of days we've been reporting that Liverpool's deal with New Balance finishes at the end of next season uh, it's clear the club is going from strength to strength you've had record breaking kit sales uh, we understand they currently get around £45 million per year do you think when that negotiations probably start soon would you think they'll be looking for an increase and will they get an increase on that earning 
around about 60. And, and again, you know, I'm, I'm I'm a sort of an impartial observer here. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm also lucky enough to do a fair amount of travel around the world looking at football-related issues. Mm-hmm. And Liverpool are more popular than Arsenal and they are more popular than Chelsea on a global basis. So therefore, I think as a minimum benchmark, they will be looking to match the 60 million a year being generated from by those two clubs. And, and I think ideally they should be looking to, to bring in more money from that because um, yeah, the club is very much in fashion at present. It is an iconic brand. It does have history and heritage, um, which people want to buy into. And, and it's, it's, a, it's very popular wherever you go. So they should be able to say, well, to, to what, whoever the, the kit manufacturer is, you know, we can pretty much guarantee you, you know, sales in Asia, sales in the US, sales in, in Australasia, you know, say sales in other parts of Europe and Africa and so on. Um, and and you know, here, here's the figures from uh, our, our existing relationships with those countries. Um, and the fact that you can't get a Liverpool kit um, unless you're sort of at 7XL or an yeah. XS size, <laughs> This is not a, a question as a football finance expert, but more as a football fan. We know you're a big Brighton fan. You work in Liverpool. You're surrounded by Liverpool and Everton fans. Do you think Liverpool can do it? Do you think they can beat Man City to the to the title? Liverpool look 
Kieran, thank you very much for your time. Again, really fascinating insight into Liverpool's accounts and uh, all the other subjects that we've covered there. We'll uh, no doubt catch up again at the end of the season. Anytime, look forward to it, Paul. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.